Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of Air Sports, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. West Virginia has just lost their second game in a row, falling to Iowa State 38-14 to in a game that was tied at halftime. It was 21-14 to heading into the fourth quarter. And I'm not even sure that game and what the final score was is the biggest topic right now. There is so much to unpack from not only what happened on the field, but what happened this week that we found out or might have already known but was told we didn't know. Uh, and, and what's going to happen going forward? Because there, there's some several personnel moves, several injuries, uh, some interesting comments in postgame. And to help me wade through all of that is my co-host, Mr. Mike Casaza. Mike, how were things in postgame? Chipper. <laughs> Loving their odds. The world is on their side right now. Manageable schedule. All their goals are still within reach. Um, the exact opposite of that. I think this is kind of a crew that as was taking punches that they couldn't protect themselves from as this game went on. And while that's not a good thing, I think that what's probably scary is that the biggest punchers are seven days away and they're not going to invent ways to cover up um, against a better offense on the road in a pretty hostile place. And, um, Boy, we were talking about get out of October with a win. You're halfway through. You're depleted. You're gonna get run next week, win or lose. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna pay a price there because that team is fast and big and strong and deep and just frankly better in every area and aspect. So that's going to take a tax. And then uh, Baylor's got some sort of rabbit in the hat. And all of a sudden, October is halfway over, but also only halfway over uh, the odds are pretty long right now this is kind of a team that's i think looking for a foxhole and looking for people to get in the foxhole with and is having a hard time finding both as i mentioned there's there's a lot that went on today a lot on the field and off it Let, let's start on the field let's focus there first good uh <laughs> I, I hope the folks are ready for fired up mike tonight because uh, you're gonna get it but we're gonna save that for later because I'm ready for it. But the thing, as I mentioned, 14-14 halftime, 21-14 going into the fourth quarter. This was eerily, you know, minus the interception barrage, uh, eerily similar to that Texas game where West Virginia was right in it and then the offense disappeared in the third quarter, and that was it. Then the game just got away from um, got away from West Virginia. I'm looking at the quarter by quarter stats and the and the thing that just there's two stats that just smack me right in the face when I look at this. First half, West Virginia averages 4.6 yards per play, Iowa State 4.4. Second half, 5.7 for Iowa State and 2.1 for West Virginia. And more time of possession, almost even, 15 and a half to 14 and a half in the first half. 20 minutes and 37 seconds for Iowa State, 9 minutes and 23 for West Virginia. You're not going to win getting zero points, 44 yards, and having the ball for nine minutes and a half. Iowa State got in the inside lane and and stayed there um, and ran their race. I don't know if that's um, a worse situation for West Virginia because, you know, there's these teams that have their styles, and Iowa State – 
was kind of discombobulated for a half of this game and was just able to, to kind of nudge and shoulder and elbow and then kind of got itself in the spot I wanted to go into and then just ran its race. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, that's pretty much how they're going to win this game. That's, if you go on the road and you're going to win by 24, you're going to do it like they did. And, you know, some mistakes or whatever. And certainly West Virginia is extraordinarily shorthanded and just can't conjure up the answers. Here comes the uh, medical helicopter, by the way. So I apologize. I'm right outside the hospital. Um, it might be coming for me in the coronary I'm going to have in about 20 minutes, I'm sure. <laughs> Preemptive. But uh, I was looking at quarterbacks, too, and I really thought Jack Allison looked very sharp in the first half. It was 10 for 12 and a touchdown drive converted and i thought that for most of the game brock purdy looked pretty normal um was 10 for 20 at one point uh he finished 19 for 30 which means that he went uh, 9 of 10 to end the game and he was not under pressure they they kind of ran out of gas into ways to, to harass and hurry him and he was able to move the chains they're really good on third down they don't get a lot of them they got more than normal today but they just everything they had to do they got to the sticks they got some good spots i think um they're getting the, in the red zone. Again, how they're going to run their race and win these games, that's what they did. You want to keep them off track and keep them from finding that inside lane and getting that good position. And West Virginia just didn't have a way to do that. Um, just just did not let Iowa State have to do anything it didn't really want to do after halftime. Yeah, looking at Jack Allison's numbers right there to end the first half, he had uh, five of six, he completed 10 of 12, just like you said, five of six there to end the half with all five of those completions going for a first down or a touchdown. And in the second half, only completed two more passes for further than 10 yards. Um, a 14 yard pass right off the bat and a 10 yarder. And then his other completions, negative one yards, two, four, three, zero, and one yard. And then an interception. Um, Neil Brown was asked about that in the post game. Where were the deep passes? He noted that uh, there were two things. He directly answered that question with, "We called them, but <laughs> Iowa Iowa State, uh, you know, had three safeties and they were all back deep because West Virginia was incapable of running the ball." Um, and something he said earlier caught my attention too, was that he admitted that they had to change basically their whole playbook, or not their whole playbook, but they had to change the offense. Um, he said, quote, we were doing some things different. Right there in the first quarter, had to change and get to some plays that he's comfortable with. Um, that, I, you know, he, and it, it, that wasn't the only thing he said about Jack Allison. He, he, he praised him for coming in and playing the way he did on such short notice. It's a tough spot. I think everybody realizes that. But that's not exactly a ringing endorsement um, to me. That Again, it sounds like he just doesn't seem confident that Allison can make this an explosive offense. What's kind of weird is that we've really, kind of really become enamored with how Neil Brown has tried to reinvent things every week. And he's talked about it, and I think as part of it is because they don't have a thing that they're great at right now. Maybe they don't even know what it is, and they find it eventually. But he's trying to find ways to get his people in a really good situations every week without completely reinventing everything. But they've, whether it's tempo or formations or shifting or motion or anything like that, um, and they've added new wrinkles and new plays. And you get to a certain point in the season, and you kind of figure out, all right, we can carry this to every game. Um, and and you, you narrow that down, and you have your core stuff. I'm not sure that they're as far along on that stuff as um, 
as they want to be. But what was unique this game is that Iowa State's defense is so unusual and so um, unto itself with the way they play that Brown said that they, they really worked on stuff that was going to work that Kendall could do. And because they're putting in new stuff specific for an opponent, you want to maximize your reps to the quarterback as much as you can. So where you might get 80-20 in a regular week, you're probably doing 90-10 in a week like this. So everything was poured into Kendall. It's the worst possible time for him to go out. And you really, what I would imagine happened is that they probably have like a, in case of emergency folder, and they go back to stuff that they've charted that Allison has done well in practice or in scrimmage situations or, you know, spring football or camp. And then you try to figure out, okay, um, he did this good in August. He did this good in April. Can he do it good on October 12th? And you kind of cross your fingers. So a perfect storm of bad luck. You know, the one week where you kind of deviate from the norm and you give your backup fewer snaps so your main quarterback can get as much as he can. Um, that's not the time to get injured, and that's what happened. Um, it's just a bad confluence of factors there. So the question is, what's next here? Because as as we've gone over here, Allison was okay, um, not great. Uh, it's unclear what's going to go on with Austin Kendall. Neil Brown was kind of vague in post game, stating that it was not an arm injury or shoulder injury. It was more in the chest area, but then kind of leaving it at that. Saying we'll have an update later. Um, Trey Lowe got in for a couple garbage time snaps, and he just handed it off a couple times. But, uh, you know, things that'll get the uh, old message board going and the fans riled up was something you saw on the sidelines. Yeah, I don't know, like, if it's molehill mountain (laughs) stuff, but, like, I'm watching what's happening, and I saw Kendall. I I knew he took a good hit, and when he came off the field, um, he was really just dragging the arm. And I I didn't really see the hit very much that I didn't see the hit very much the way I want to, because I don't know how it looked. Did he get crunched? Is it a hyperextension? Did he get driven in the ground? I'll have to, I'll have to watch the tape, Chris. Mm-hmm. But uh, my eyes immediately go to, you know, I knew it wasn't good. And you can kind of tell they, they pull the fire alarm and you get your guys up, they take their baseball caps off, they grab a football and they go. And Kendall was throwing to Daigie, which is interesting. Uh, quarterbacks don't and quarterbacks is strange because if someone busts a finger, so much for the football, right? Can't grip it and rip it. So uh, I thought that was strange. But like during, um, during like a stoppage in the next possession for Iowa State, um, they had a longer drive after Kendall's first possession. Daigie was throwing and Lowe was catching, and Daigie was talking to Trent Jackson, who is the quarterback for, and he basically is the one you always see, like wearing the penny and signaling in the plays. And you figure he's familiar with communication. And, you know, he's listening to the coaches and what they're trying to signal in. He probably has a good idea about the process just because of where he is in the game. And he's talking to Daigie as Daigie's throwing, and he's pointing at paper. And, and, and it looks like to me that he's giving him pointers or tips, or whatever. And I was thinking, is this going to happen? Like, are we seeing him getting schooled and he's going to go in? It didn't happen, but like, now it's in my head. You don't know if you have Kendall. You know what you have with Allison, probably, um, to one extreme or another, not by much, but you, he's going to be a little bit better, a little bit worse than what you saw today, probably. Um, but let's say they come in and they say, listen, uh, Kendall's out. He can't go Saturday. How are you lining up practice on Tuesday and Wednesday? I don't know, because I think 
for me, the question is, do you, because there's six games left, at least, maybe seven if there's a bowl game, but do does it disrupt your team if you come in with Daggy for two games and then pull him back out when Kendall's ready? Like, just a hypothetical, Kendall's out two weeks, and and, and they go to Daggy for two games just to see what could happen and be like, hey, you know, let's put you in for a couple games. Um, and we're still going to try to redshirt you. So when Kendall's healthy, he's the quarterback. Is that something that disrupts the locker room, disrupts the offense, causes issues? It sounds absurd, right? Yeah. Because the position. But he's talking about, yeah, we're going to have to play Mayo again next week. And they want a redshirt Mayo. So they're talking about playing him at most four games, Tavian Mayo, the cornerback. Um, he's not going to play more than four games this year. So he's one down. He's going to get another one next week, which means he's going to have two games for the final five or six. So it's not like it's a completely you know, foreign concept to the way these guys think on the coaching staff. Um, I don't know if the opponent is the right one, <laughs> like on the road against them. I don't know if that's where you want to see Daigie the first time. I can't believe it's going to happen. He's, he's not playing five games. He's not. Um, I, th- that, that would be dumb. It would be a, it would be negligence. So he's not going to, if I think that you'd probably have to have an injury to Allison and perhaps even to Trey Lowe before you'd see Daigie. So there's some other personnel news. Do we want to get to that yet? or well, Let's talk it... about more about the game. Okay. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll get to it, please. I'm trying to cool off. Okay. But, like, the, I think there's there's so much in the game because we, we've mentioned a bunch of people here that we haven't even talked about, like, how they got on. Like, wait a minute. How did Tavian Mayo become part of the conversation here? Um, because Keith Washington hurt – I've heard two different things. I've heard hip groin. I've heard heel. Uh, Brown said it was a muscle. Uh, and basically, he didn't practice all week, and they they had a really bad feeling he wasn't going to play. And they poured a bunch of reps into Mayo um, just in case. But they started Nick Troy Fortune um, to see if he could go, and he did. And I think he's probably going to grade out okay for for the first time out there, really. But he starts because Washington can't play. I watched him in warm-ups. Whatever's wrong with him, he tried to do some stuff, lateral especially, and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't go side to side, and that's that's bad news for a corner. And, and they said he couldn't. He couldn't put it down and run, which is bad for a corner. So he's off. Um, no big deal. Play fortune, and you do okay, and you hold your breath. And he did okay and didn't have any of the blemishes that he had last game where his second snap, he gave up a touchdown to a guy who's six inches and 60 pounds bigger than he is. Um, that becomes a bigger issue, though, when Spring Bailey makes a horrendous open field tackle. What did you think of this, this hit of his? Because it sounded violent in the stadium and in the press box. I mean, it was about one of the more obvious targeting calls I think I've ever seen. So there was really no doubt in my mind that he was done. No flag. Well. No flag in the play. I mean, I I, I saw it and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he looked like one of those little, like, birds that dips its head in the water. Yeah. And it just keeps rocking back and forth. I mean, he threw his head out and went crown first. I mean, that is going to be on the film next year when they teach about targeting at the media days, how they adjudicated it. was, it was textbook. And I was like, well, where's the flag? And they go to the next player or whatever. And like, they, and like finally somebody upstairs is just like, really, do I have to do this? And they press the buzzer and they reviewed it, but clearly targeting. And then poor Mayo comes in and I'm just thinking, Oh my gosh, they're going to throw it at him six times in a row here. And they score in the next play and he gets a chance to catch his breath. But, uh, he, he got burnt on one touchdown pass. I, I didn't, didn't look 
didn't look bad out there, but you could tell he was his eyes were shifting and he was constantly talking to people and constantly getting tips or encouragement or reminders. And um, I mean, they may need him for at least a half on Saturday because Bailey's going to be suspended for the first half of that game. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, and man, that's because on the previous depth chart, there was, you, you know, Tay Mayo started out as that second string, but I think once it became clear that they wanted to redshirt him this year, they they slid walk on Devin Wade to that spot, although they went to Mayo when time came. But that's the situation that West Virginia is in at that position right now. Two, two true freshmen with a uh, walk on as the backup. And, and I don't know where they go. What, where, who's the fourth now? Well, like, I mean, here's the deal, too. Like, Washington, everybody's like, oh, he might be better in a week. No, he's got to be better by Tuesday. And if he couldn't go today, he's going to have to get a lot of treatment and maybe it heals whatever. But it's it's obviously a pretty vulnerable or susceptible thing where a tweak, a misstep, you know, get out of bed wrong. Who knows? And it might be a setback or it might just not heal the way he wants it to. If he doesn't practice Tuesday, he's probably not practicing Wednesday. And if you don't practice, you don't play. So you might have to, at the very least, consider giving those extra guys, you know, Mayo, Fortune. Are, are we talking to Corey Turner at this point? Because I don't think Devin Wade's getting in anytime soon. Uh, Turner hasn't even played. I mean, they, they, they have, they've only played three cornerbacks this year, and now they're going to have to use three and maybe four in a game. And it, we talked about it. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before that West Virginia only has the two cornerbacks that we're playing with fortune kind of backing up both sides a little bit, but they had gotten lucky so far and now they're not getting so lucky and it's going to put them in a real tough spot. Looked out one snap. Jordan Jefferson was at nose. Tyke Smith was at spear. Fortune and Mayo were at corner. Kerry Martin was at free safety. Can you tell me what those individuals have in common? That's five, two, five true freshmen starting on defense in a big 12 conference game. There was a snap in the first quarter. Jack Allison was on the field with Sam James, Bryce Wheaton, Bryson Mays, James Gemitter, that is, and Michael Lachlan. Five redshirt freshmen and a backup quarterback in the offense. Yeah, that's, that's not good, Mike. That's reality right now. So yeah. this is what's curious to me. They have played two, I would say, top third of the Big 12 teams in a row. Two... Definitely top third of the Big 12 quarterbacks. Maybe two of the better quarterbacks when you look at all-around game in the country. How you stack them up, I don't know. But I think Ellinger and Brock Purdy are in the conversation in the Big 12, probably beyond that to a larger degree, too. There have been stretches when 
both have looked ordinary against West Virginia's kind of helter-skelter defense. How has that happened? What have they done? Who has been good? And more importantly, how have they not been able to keep it going? Well, I, I don't know. When I'm looking at this defense, and then next week you got Oklahoma, I, I think for me the question is what's going to happen after Oklahoma? Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, let's be realistic here. That, that game could get ugly right now, uh, especially if, say, West Virginia goes in with a couple more injuries. Like, say, Washington's not ready. Maybe Kendall's not ready because whatever his injury is, he can't obviously can't not practice, and he's got to be able to throw. And if he's too hurt to even go back in the game, he might not be throwing for at least a few more days. And then you got you got to get everybody's heads back on straight after three straight losses because there are still winnable games at the end of the year. There is still a chance for bowl eligibility, but getting three straight losses with two kind of a heartbreaker, you're losing three straight games, you're losing players. It's it's tough times. I can't imagine that there's too many people that are thrilled back there and, and probably some guys that just, you know, need to stay focused. They need to uh, know that it's kind of a long haul, but they're going to get there. Kennedy McCoy, eight carries, mm. six yards. Mm-hmm. Why is he starting and why is he getting eight carries? Is it because Petaway is not playing? Or is this a shift we're about to witness and Liddy Brown is about to take over? I think people have been kind of calling for Liddy Brown, I think, for a while. But even before this game, uh, McCoy was averaging about three, 3.3 yards per carry, and Letty Brown was up over about around five and a half. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Brown wasn't you know great today. I, I, it says no. 10 carries, 26 yards. I felt it was like it was better than that. But um, that's way better than anybody else on the team uh, today at least running the ball. But, yeah, I think you might see the switch. Like start, I think it started today, and it's going to continue, and it's going to be Letty Brown in the backfield going forward. Got Lorenzo Dorr in there. Uh, zero carries for Alex Sinkfield. I don't believe he played much, if at all, on offense. He got knocked up on a punt return and did not return punts the rest of the game. He was hobbled, too. Uh, a lot of guys took hits in this game. Um, the offensive line looked kind of worn out by the end there. Um, and, I mean, they're the best collection of talent is coming up pretty quickly here, and it's a road game, by the way. And, um, boy, I don't know. It's, it's not a lot of great things going on here, too. Uh, Brown did have an 11-yard run where they did, like, a pin-and-pull play, which you don't see West Virginia do very much. Um, Mike Brown was leading. Letty Brown got 11 yards. After that, uh, just 25 yards rushing. Uh, not especially heartwarming performance there. He also fumbled. Consider this, too. West Virginia was one of two teams that hadn't fumbled, period. One of three teams that hadn't lost a fumble, and they lost three fumbles today. That yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't discuss uh, positives on this podcast anymore because I believe it was last week's podcast where you brought that up and I brought up the quarterback, the cornerbacks won't stay healthy forever comment, and, and here we are. Two fumbles, two cornerbacks out. So, yeah, it's a... That's trouble. All right, you want to do this? Are you ready? Are you, have, is your blood pressure down? We only got like seven minutes of tape left, so I'm <laughs> And I'm not going to be as mad as what probably everybody thinks, but I'm, I am kind of upset. Okay. Do you want, I'll, I'll try to preface it a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, after the game, uh, Neil Brown addressed uh, not only the absence of Keith Washington 
due to injury. But Tevin Bush, who he said was, quote, injured and unavailable and nothing more. Uh, and then went into detail on Martel Petaway, uh, saying that, you know, he hadn't had the type of year that everybody had hoped and that he was likely going to redshirt and sit out the rest of the season. No comment on what's going on after that. Um, he made it, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he made it seem like there was a strong possibility of him staying, uh, not not sitting, transferring out, but sitting and coming back next year. This is something you brought up to me Tuesday, Wednesday. Yes. Um, and it was what you heard. You brought it up to me. You, We tried to check it out. You checked it out. Um, you went to the school, yes? Twice. And twice uh, with this exact scenario for all three players and was informed it was wrong. And it was exactly right. So we actually <laughs> kind of got wind of this last week where people who told us that Stewart was leaving, which happened, said this is not the end of it. Um, and we got through the fourth game and no one else did it. And we thought, well, that's that. Uh, Martel Petaway and Tevin Bush both sat out an entire game um, for different reasons, but didn't play. So they'd only played three of the first four games. You can play four and still redshirt. So when they played in game five against Texas, they actually only played in their fourth game. So they still both have the ability to redshirt. Um, Brown said that he made it seem like it's a fluid thing with Petaway. There's no way that Petaway is going to step back on the field this year, right? How I mean, if his if he sat out today because he wants to play next year, whether it's here or somewhere else, he's not grabbing a helmet to give somebody a blow in the first or third quarter. He's not going out there to play a handful of snaps in one game or a couple of games. If his goal is to extend his career next season, he's not abbreviating his career <laughs> this season. That doesn't fly with me. Um, so to, to answer this and keep my cool, <laughs> um, I think what they're trying to tell me, they, they told me there was nothing to report. I understand that they're not going to give information on injuries. And I was also warned that they were going to make Washington a, a kind of a game time guy and that he would be in uniform. and They're going to see what happened. So you really can't report that. I get that. And I'm free to write these things on my own. Like they don't have to confirm stuff for me. Generally good practice though. Um, but they didn't. And I said, okay, so I'm not worried about Washington. Um, I knew Petaway did scout team reps all week. I also knew that Bush did some uh, offense special teams work during the week. So there was enough cloudiness there that I wasn't sure what to do. But when you're told there's nothing to write, that's a pretty good indication that there's, you know, nothing to write. <laughs> but it all played out like we assumed today. So uh, check out our fresh set from this morning. It kind of alludes to that because a lot of people were spooked about this red shirt thing and who was in, who was out. And not only that, but who's thinking about it. And if you're thinking about it, are you really all the way in or are you one foot in, you one foot out? And if you're thinking about it, you're not committed, you know, and like that could be deleterious to some effect in a locker room or morale or whatever. You start looking around and you wonder, is this guy with me? Well, right now, this is a team that needs everybody with them. And you wonder about that sometimes. So it's definitely a story. And I think that there's something to be said about trying to, cover it up a little bit and especially if you don't know um 
by the sounds of it, Bush is not redshirting. We'll see. Um, I think it's an option for him, and I think it's something that um, could have some life. I'm not as sure about that as I am about Petaway, though. Um, Petaway, by Brown's explanation, sounds like that he's done this season. And what's interesting to me is that they did acknowledge that Sinkfield took a hit today, and then Brown said something to the effect of, you know, we'll have to see how Sinkfield is as we go ahead next week. That may change things. They also have told me that Tony Mathis was hurt and they're waiting for him to come back. So if you're just looking to stop gap stuff until Alex Singfield comes back, maybe Tony Mathis is the guy, or maybe people are just weaving a tail to me now and trying to, trying to solve this somehow or another. I don't know, but like, just think about this now. If, if you don't let Petaway play today and the running game was bad, I'm not saying he solves it, but I'm sure part of him is like, I could do that. And then next week you go to Oklahoma and you say, hey, we need you to carry it a couple times because Alex Singfield isn't playing. There's no way he's going to want to do that. So this is this is all very strange and unusual. Um, it's just that it, it's very possible that they didn't know what the kid was going to do. But everything that I asked about and that you and I talked about and that we thought was going to happen is actually what happened today, which means that this is perhaps over. But at the same time, not over. Does that make sense? Mike, that was a surprisingly calm breakdown of the situation. Uh, I was hoping for more fireworks, but that's okay. I mean, I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at myself because I knew we knew these guys weren't going to play. The Washington thing I wasn't so sure about, but I was assured he hadn't practiced and he couldn't go. But they said, be careful because he's going to be in uniform, and if he can go, he can go. And then when Bailey gets a targeting call, I'm thinking, oh, no, he might go in. And I'm thinking, why am I saying, oh, no, I didn't write it, and I kind of you know, was relieved, but the two players that you knew weren't going to play and then they're not dressed. And then like, that's not a decision that really gets made Saturday morning. Um, both those guys were on the field when the team came in from the Mountaineer man trip, which meant that they weren't with the team the night before the game, I believe. So, you know, those things are, those are decisions made in advance. And if one guy's just on scout team and he's not doing anything, those are made in advance. Um, and if a guy's not practicing with the offense, he's not playing in a game, uh, something's weird there. And again, it's just the nature of where things are right now. People aren't going to tell you everything because they don't have to tell you everything. They want to have a wall between you. We talked about this back in August, I believe. They want to have a wall between you and try to keep stuff in that they can. So they did. So do we need to update the red shirt tracker to uh, make sure there's nobody else that's only played four games or fewer right now? <laughs> we, we, got, we got guys who are at zero and at one, or at one now, and that may happen again sometime before long too. So it's probably worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm with you on all this and I do understand partly why they're trying to downplay it because I think obviously people are going to look at this and be like, and make a bigger deal out of it. It is a deal. It is something, this redshirt thing, but I don't think it's a mark on WVU, but there are going to be people out there that are going to try to spin it that way. Uh, there are going to be fans that are going to take it that way. So I, I, you know, they, uh, I, I know why they're trying to downplay it, but I'm, I would be angry too if I had presented the exact scenario, told it was wrong and was exactly right. Had a conversation with somebody today um, about this rule and what might happen. And this person told me that the football oversight committee will probably at least present the idea of keeping this four game thing to just true freshmen or junior college players. So first year players, which hmm. I think stinks 
but they want to legislate this somehow. They want to have some control over it. Because uh, I said this before, players have control right now, and grown-ups don't know how to deal with it. And the best way for grown-ups to deal with it is to take away some of that power, which is kind of at the spirit of a lot of the, the, the differences when we talk about, like, players and what they have and don't have and what other people make off of them. But, like, when they have some power now, and, and they're not using it in the way that the rule was intended, I get that. But it's a pretty severe thing because if you're good enough to play as a true freshman and fill a role as a backup, but then, like, the next year you're in the same position and you don't want to waste another season by just playing a little bit, then just take the four game rule and redshirt as a sophomore or true sophomore. And then you're back for year three with your second year of eligibility. And I know that's not common, but like there are situations like that. And you're affecting those people. If you just allow this four game rule in the first season. Well, Mike, I think that'll wrap it up for this evening. Um, We'll be back next week. Obviously we'll have this up. We got Neil Brown's comments after the game, some photos. Uh, I did catch up with several recruits already. Um, Reactions have been positive, as they usually are. Uh, and new basketball uh, offer out, uh, four-star Jalen Billingsley. And we'll have a story up with him in the next couple days. And then we'll turn our attention to Oklahoma. So uh, be sure to check back in Sunday. Mike with three things. Everybody loves that. I'm sure it'll be interesting this week. And Mike, you got anything else to add? Yeah, here's one thing. I think my mic was making a weird noise during the show a couple times here. Show, listen to me. Uh, there's a bee in here that's pissed off and is buzzing around my head. And I happen to have a can of soda next to me. And every time I go to take a sip of it, it comes at me and I'm kind of like swatting at it. So if I disturb my microphone, I apologize. But think about me and the bumblebee if you're wondering what happened. All right. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, check back at earsports.com for more written word and spoken word about your Mountaineers uh, Sunday and all week long. I am Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. Thanks for listening.